Hello and welcome to the Holmes Politicast. We have got a lot to get to. Detroit goes woke, but it's never woke enough. COVID-19 is still super scary. Get your vaccine or we're all going to die. Um, uh, some good news. Uh, a Muskegon Eagle Scout is being recognized for saving a woman's life. Uh, Deadline Detroit uh, takes the fight against Whitmer to another level. The GOP is jumping on board the Whitmer uh, Sioux train. And uh, fourth graders look severely under-distanced. Um, so we will be taking a look at all that. I am Anon Don. This is the Holmes Politicast. That sound tells you that Michigan news is coming up. All right. So we'll take a look at this. Detroit, of course, has been super woke for a long time. Will it ever be enough, though? I highly doubt it. So Stellantis touts $1 million neighborhood effort on Detroit's east side. But protesters say, oh, shocking. Look, it's not enough. All right. So let's see what uh, let's see what Eric Lawrence has to say about this shocking development. All right, so Stellantis planned to kick off for its greenest initiative Thursday to showcase a three-year, one million dollar effort to support the East Side neighborhoods around its Detroit Assembly Complex. But protesters, doing their best to drown out the assembled speakers, criticized the world's number four automaker for, quote, environmental racism. Wow, I knew I wouldn't make it very far into this without stopping. Environmental racism. Um, I feel like we're just hit putting racism in front of anything that we don't like. There's, there's a negative impact that we don't like, so it's racist. Like, environmental racism doesn't even make sense. That's ridiculous. I would, I would be ashamed to print that as a as a newspaper and I'm glad they put it in scare quotes because it is a ridiculous idea. The contrast highlighted conflicting views around a development touted for its influx of thousands of jobs and for creating the city's first new auto assembly plant in three decades. So that sounds like a good thing for Detroit, right? They need jobs. Um, Got an auto assembly plant, thousands of jobs. Uh, Seems like, the business would be welcomed into the community. City, state, and company leaders have trumpeted the economic impact on a struggling area of the city, but outspoken voices have risen frequently to offer a competing narrative of a company more concerned with profits than the health of residents. Stellantis, which was formed in January after Fiat Chrysler Automobiles merger with... Uh, I can't pronounce is that Peugeot? Pidgeot? I think it's Pidgeot. Uh, maker PSA Group is investing a $2.5 billion. No, is investing $2.5 billion, sorry, to transform an idled. Oh my goodness, I am having problems with this one. An idled engine plant into a facility that will produce the upcoming 2021 Grand Cherokee L SUV and updated the nearby Jefferson North Assembly where the current versions of the Grand Cherokee and Dodge Durango are built. Okay, so so far I'm not seeing how 
profits are above the health of the residents. <coughs> Hopefully, you know, it's it'll it's coming soon, guys. The vindication is coming soon for these leftists. They're going to drop a bomb somewhere in this article, I'm sure of it. Before the dozen or so chanting protesters made it difficult to absorb the company message, Ron Stallworth, Stellanus's external affairs lead for Wayne County, stressed that the efforts being announced were over and above previous company commitments. Wow, this, this article is just so much gobbledygook, isn't it? The notion of being a good corporate citizen is important to us. And enduring environmental impacts of our efforts are especially important and timely in this initiative. Ultimately, we are following through on our commitment to improve the environment and enhance the quality of life for residents on the east side. I don't know how it's actually improving the environment, but um, I mean, I, I would say he's pro providing an enhanced quality of life for the residents on the east side. Like providing jobs always does that. Whenever jobs come to your uh, town, I mean, yeah, there are some jobs that are less desirable than others to come. Uh, but you know what? When you need jobs, beggars can't be choosers. Uh, would you rather live for the next, you know, 80 years with bar barely any food or have that cut down a little bit and have a job and, you know, be able to feed your children? I think, I think I'd take the latter. I think, you know, even if it's a dirty job, which there's so far been no evidence that this is going to be any dirtier than any other plant job. Um, so Thursday's event was held at a stormwater park at Kirkhevel and I'm just botching all the names in this article because they're all Detroit names and I've never seen any of them. Uh, Benetou built in connection with the assembly complex project. It was tied to a groundbreaking of neighborhood education pavilion to be completed in the fall on the site and to highlight the planting of 1,100 trees in the area, upgraded the landscaping and the addition of walking pads and installations of an ambient air quality monitoring station on the north end of the complex complex's Mac plant. Stallworth said the station is the only one in the city. Okay. So that's a lot of things they're doing. The, the bomb is coming. It's still coming. Yeah, I know this company's done a lot of good things, it looks like, but these protesters, I'm sure they have a point. Nobody would be protesting without, you know, some kind of a point that they're making, right? Right, right. Okay, let's keep going. <clears throat> the company has also emphasized its outreach to the area, and Stallworth, on Thursday, said there has been 75 community meetings. But the company's message has not always been well-received by some residents and activists, who in the past, including U.S. Representative Rashida Tlaib... Oh, oh she'd never want anything for political motivation. Um, and State Senator Stephanie... Ch oh, no. Oh, Stephanie Chang. She would never want anything for political motivation either. Okay, these are the two most serious senators we have. I guess we better, uh, we better start looking. Um, so, one from the U.S. Senate, one from Michigan Senate. I think she's a Michigan Senate. I don't know. She might be U.S. Senate. Either way, both of these ladies <coughs> have uh, have interesting views. Tlaib has previously questioned the breakdown of jobs related to the new plant. What does that mean, breakdown of jobs? Um, saying that 5,700 traders have been hired. Smack plant. 
Okay. <clears throat> Sorry, I just I stopped kept kind of reading it because I was thrown off by that. Um, okay, so is so here's what the article says. Uh, Talib has previously questioned the breakdown of jobs related to the new plant. On Thursday, the company provided a handout highlighting its hiring of Detroiters, saying that 5,700 Detroiters had been hired so far as a result of its investment, with 2,100 Detroiters hired for its Mac plant team, in addition to 1,750 United Auto Worker transfers, and that an additional 3,600 Detroiters had been hired at other Stellantis facilities. So, just doing some quick math here. Uh, that looks like uh, over 15,000 jobs. <clears throat> yeah. Over 15,000 jobs that this place has, has made for Detroit. <clears throat> Tanisha Burton, 45, was among the protesters. Oh, oh, here we go. Here we go. Here's the bombshell. She said she moved to Benetou three years ago from Taylor and now requires daily treatment for asthma, something that she has never experienced before. She's concerned about the health of her three grandchildren who visit her home every one weekday, uh, every weekend, and her 87-year-old grandfather who now lives with her. She and others feel a company should do more for residents who live on the Benetou, which is separated from the plant by a large concrete sound barrier which critics have compared to the U.S.-Mexico border wall. Uh, I'm just going to stop right there and say anybody that is comparing a concrete sound barrier put up by a business to keep sound from inundating all of the people of the city, comparing that to the U.S.-Mexico border wall has got to be the stupidest thing I've ever seen. That has got... That is the dumbest... Comp- oh, my goodness. Well, the protesters aren't starting off too well, guys. <laughs> they are not having a good day. Look at this. Okay, so they've got uh, uh, they've got um, a, a border wall. They've got... Oh, my goodness. They've got jobs being created. I mean, yeah, this company is in trouble. Um, Burton didn't focus on the wall during her remarks to a free press reporter... Instead, she was more concerned with issues such as noise and odor from the plant. I shouldn't smell it in my home. It's a foul smell. We hear noises. We hear noise that wakes us up. Um, okay. That's that's actually part of industry. Yeah. It's they there's some bad smells. Um and last time I remembered you chose to live there. Uh looks like uh, yeah, yeah. Three years ago from Taylor, she moved. So, obviously she's mobile. Uh, why are they talking to her exactly? Why doesn't, like, really, why don't they talk to somebody who has not moved and maybe could not move? Um, <clears throat> she also, she also referenced a, com- a key complaint of protesters who want more money for home repairs or relocation. They said $15,000 to facilitate repairs is not enough. Wow, $15,000 to facilitate a repair to your personal home from a business is extremely generous. That is ridiculously generous. These people should be on bended knee thanking this company for bringing jobs and money and wealth 
and rebuilding into their account into their city. My goodness. Protesters carrying signs with messages such as We want justice for Benetou residents enchanting a variety of colorful messages. Ah, oh, I wonder what those were. Democrats usually I mean they, they usually chant nice things, right? Like these these not okay, so non Democrats. The followers of Rashida Talib and Stephanie Chang, they usually chant nice things, right? I'm sure it'll that I'm sure that's why they didn't uh colorful messages. <clears throat> See, so I wonder how this would have been um, portrayed were these Republicans. It wouldn't be uh, chanting a variety of colorful messages. It would be uh, screaming hateful, vitriolic, racist things. Um, okay, so represent or state representative Joe Tate got involved on the fun. Um, let's see, Stephanie Brody, a teacher in the Advanced Manufacturing Career Academy at Southeastern High School had her speech interrupted briefly as Stallworth stepped in. I'm going to allow Miss Brody to continue, but we have a demonstration, obviously. And the thing to realize, this is a public space, although it's private property, so we would like the people to enjoy the space, to use the space productively. And I guess people have different ideas of what productive use is, he said. Afterward, Brody said she struggled with the focus of the protest. She explained that her students would never have considered going to a field like engineering without the exposure they've received through Stellanus' partnership with the school. Oh. They all thought manufacturing was just an assembly job, but Stellantis came in and gave my kids an introduction to engineering human resources. In introducing engineering human resources. What? That's just so much that they're introducing that these kids have an opportunity now to think about, and that's what they're not getting, she said of the protest. Oh, okay, so <clears throat> so she was talking about, okay, so this teacher was talking about how good it's been for her students that this company moves in, and these protesters just don't care. Um, okay, so that's interesting. Well, uh, again, you, you, if you if you give pe the woke mob a uh, million dollars, uh, they will demand five million or twenty or enough so that they can all uh, buy large mansions, right? Because BLM, yeah. <coughs> so, uh, Stellantis, you tried. Uh, I think they're still coming after you, though, buds. Um, I will I will be here. I will be defending Stellantis if they want to. You know, send me a giant fact check to keep these protesters uh you know in in check uh that'd be great because you know i'm i'm, I'm doing free advertising for you Stellanus. so there you go Stellanus owes me a lot of money uh because i've done a lot more for them than any of the people they've given money to so covid 19 oh no all right we got uh anti-vax people here um here in michigan these anti-vaxxers, um, they refuse to get the vaccine because, I don't know, they want to kill grandma and all that stuff. <clears throat> so, let's see. Let's see what this is. Counteract the anti-vaccine, anti-science aggression. All right. The best hope of slowing or even halting COVID-19 virus transmission is through vaccination. Well, wow. I get to the first 
the first line they lie. Uh, nope, it's not the best hope. Um, probably the best the best hope that we had was herd immunity, um, which is one which is the goal of vaccination. Um, there's also another way to get to it, and it's just through a controlled spread. <clears throat> so, not the uh, not the best hope, not the only hope, but the elite's favorite kind of hope because it means that they've built something and then they forced you to buy it. So, based on our earlier studies, we will need about three quarters of the U.S. population vaccinated to achieve this goal. Or three quarters of the population to have the virus, which has already happened. But with more transmissible variants, we may need to vaccinate just about all American adults and adolescents. Oh, no. Transmissible variants. Oh, no. See, I thought the... I thought... So does the vaccine protect against variants or not? Because I've heard it does. I've heard it doesn't. I've heard um, the vaccine is less effective than... You know, previously stated, I've heard all kinds of things. People getting sick after getting the vaccine. I just think uh, this is stupid. This is stupid. <laughs> putting just putting a bunch of uh, untested um, anti-science vaccines, an anti-science production. There has been no scientific process on these vaccines. There has not been observation, repeated results. There's no process there. They just threw something together that they thought would work. And maybe it is. Maybe it isn't. Who knows? But uh, the long-range effects are not something that uh, I generally necessarily like to consider. So, in regards to current vaccination rates, we are making good progress on the east and west coasts. But in the southern United States and in Idaho and Wyoming, vaccine coverage remains low. For instance, the vaccination rate in Alabama, Louisiana, and Mississippi are about half that of Vermont and Massachusetts. Idaho and Wyoming are only slightly better than these southern states. The the north-south or blue-red gap appears to be increasing over time. Therefore, the major vaccination barrier appears to be the significant rate of refusal among conservatives living in deep red states. So... How do we force these people to take our vaccine? How do we bludgeon them into uh, submission? That's that's actually what they ask us. So, so how do we correct this, uh, if you want to be technical? It is not at all clear that incentivizing groups through expansive prizes and gifts can overcome the fact that many living in the South and elsewhere now tie their political allegiance to vaccine defiance. Well, I'm, I'm never going to make it through this article because they lie so much. Um, no, that is not our uh, our stance. Our stance is you haven't tested it. You haven't proven that it's safe. Um, we don't know what it is. You're shoving it into everybody's arm at a ridiculous rate, and you're pushing this like nobody's business, offering cheeseburgers and shakes and fries and, my goodness, a lottery. Uh, <laughs> I mean, you were doing everything that you can to get these man-made vaccines into us. When we all have perfectly good immune systems. So that's why we don't trust you. Oh, goodness. While token prizes, such as donuts or a pizza slice, are fun and harmless, it's unlikely that more elaborate materials, incenti- 
it's unlikely that more elaborate material incentives will provide significant rates of return in terms of vaccine coverage. Moreover, there is a potential downside, namely the awful optics of needing to bribe Americans to vaccinate as the rest of the world desperately seeks vac vaccine doses, while the rest of the world isn't desperately seeking vaccine doses. Uh, China is having them forced on them. Uh, a lot of lot of countries are having them forced on them. Um, I wonder what Sweden's vaccination rate is. Uh, let's see. We haven't checked on Sweden in a while. Um, they're probably all dead because you know they they've been going without masks and um, without um social distancing so they're probably dead there's probably no one left in Sweden let's see all vaccines are voluntary in Sweden including vaccination okay uh, it doesn't say the vaccination rate here. Okay, let's try somewhere else. <coughs> um. Okay, so. Oh, 9 out of 10 say they will get it. Wow, look at look at this. Uh, so Sweden didn't push vaccines on everybody. They haven't been scared at all, really. Um, like, I have seen no real fear from Sweden. Um, they, they've been living normal lives. And now 90% of them will probably get it. Without any coaxing, without any demand from anybody, they are assessing risk and they're making their own choice. Man, wouldn't it be great if we could do that here in America? We could just allow people to have the information that they need so that they can make informed decisions. Wow, wouldn't that be great? But you're all a bunch of stupid rubes and Neanderthals and you you got the backwards thing and you know, we're just we're just gonna have to crack down on you. So Okay. Instead, we need to reach out to conservative communities and news networks or their leaders and ask for their help and advice. In parallel, we may need a more aggressive approach to countering the waves of disinformation coming from well-funded anti-vaccine groups. They include those identified by the Center for Disease or Center for Countering Digital Hate. The Center for Countering Digital Hate. Oh, can they name a place that's not Orwellian? Can they name anything that doesn't sound like it's directly from 1984? Um, all right. Anti-science and anti-vaccine organization, organizations with tens of millions of followers on anti-social media. Um, so they blame conservatives and Russia. We also must halt, rush, halt Russian government efforts to destabilize America through its anti-vaccine communications across multiple media platforms. So there you go. Control the information that you get and beg the people that give you information to work with them. Uh, well, here's a comforting 
uh, bit of news for my listeners. I will not be working with them. I will not be giving them advice on how they can convince you to get this, uh, get the poke. Um, so you are safe with me. I mean, still don't trust me because I'm media and I don't trust the media, but, um, also, you know, I'm not going to turn on you. All right. So Charlie LaDuff says that Michigan doesn't know true nursing home death toll from COVID. I'm just going to be able to read this because Charlie LaDuff isn't a liar. Um, as far as I have found, I, I'm going to, you know, obviously I keep looking for him to lie and waiting for it to happen. So when it does, I will let you know that he is now no longer trustworthy and we need to start looking at everything he says. But um, so far he's been well documented and uh, he looks good. It appears. Okay. So here's the article. It appears that Michigan wildly undercounted COVID deaths in its long-term care facilities. A joint investigation by the No BS News Hour and the Mackinac Center for Public Policy reveals that the Department of Health and Human Services does not do a thorough job of scrubbing vital records to determine whether people who died of COVID were nursing home residents as its own guidelines require. Moreover, our investigation found that DHHS did conduct a limited review of those vital records last summer and found that 44% could be traced to nursing homes. Don't expect the nursing home data to get better or more accurate. DHHS has abandoned the practice of thoroughly scrubbing records because it is considered too, quote, excuse me, too, quote, time-consuming. Why should it matter? Because we need a clear picture of what happened to our elderly during the pandemic so we can do, a better, so we can do better next time. Data helps. Unfortunately, it's unclear if even the incomplete and limited numbers have ever been made public. The true number of pandemic deaths inside Michigan's elder care centers may never be known, but our analysis shows that COVID death toll may be over 100% higher. Oh, COVID death toll may be 100% higher than the state reports. Our findings are based on communication with state health officials as well as material obtained in a freedom Oh, goodness. I needed coffee. In a Freedom of Information lawsuit settle, settlement with the Attorney General's office. So they settled uh, on a lawsuit. The definitions. Long-term care facilities are licensed and regulated by the state. They're required to provide weekly COVID-19 data, including outbreaks and resident deaths, no matter where those people eventually died. Among those group facilities are nursing homes, which provide round-the-clock medical attention to residents, homes for the aged, which function like nursing homes but do not offer full-time medical care, adult foster care homes, which function like homes for the aged but house smaller populations of people. The adult foster homes are broken down into two categories, with those, those with 13 to 20 residents and those with that house 12 or fewer people. Collectively, they are known they are informally known as nursing homes. So the math. Just over 19,000 people in Michigan have died from COVID-19, according to daily data posted by the DHHS. We only know for sure that approximately 5,600 people died who were residents of long-term care facilities. This data is self-reported by those, quote, nursing homes. The method operates on an honor system. Another 6,900... <gasps> And 45 deaths 
Among those, 19,000 COVID-19 fatalities are classified as vital records reviews, according to the Attorney General. These are records, these are recorded only after health officials and epidemiologists pour through death certificates across the state and determine that the cause of death was indeed COVID-19. Here's where the problem begin. <clears throat> the problems begin. State health officials do not attempt to determine whether the people in this vital records group lived in a nursing home or whether they contracted the disease there, as their own guidelines require. Long-term care facility COVID-19 data, which is reported on this webpage, comes from the facilities themselves, so it doesn't include any data from vital records reviews, says, said Bob Wheaton, a spokesman for DHHS, the smoking gun. Steve DeLee, a lawyer with the Mackinac Center, and I, that is Charlie LaDuff, have learned that the state of Michigan did in fact conduct a study with a limited sample last summer to find out if people on this vital records list were residents of long-term care facilities. Exactly 1,468 vital records were selected from March through June 2020. Of those, 648 deaths were traced back to nursing homes and other long-term care facilities. That's 44%, nearly half. Apply a 44% to nearly 7,000 vital records and there may be another 3,000 deaths of the institutionalized elderly unaccounted for. If this is the case, the number of, quote, nursing home deaths now climbs to 8,900. Of course, uh, oh my goodness, of course, of course, of course, deaths in nursing homes have dropped dramatically since vaccines became widely available in January. So who knows? But that's the point. Who knows? Certainly not the state. Incredibly, the work of tracing those vital records was never institutionalized. Why? Because it was too hard. The 648 deaths came from the vital records reviews we did for deaths between March and June, confirmed Wheaton, the DHH, DHHS spokesman. That is not a review that we are able to do regularly due to how time-consuming it is and the amount of records we need to devote to doing this. The state claimed that those 648 deaths were added into the death tally offered daily to the public. So, let's see. I'm going to skip ahead a little bit because he's he's just uh, ragging on um, these healthcare people. So, um... He's talking about Cuomo a little bit. Um, 4,000 nursing home. He tried to get off with 4,000 nursing homes deaths as hospital deaths. Um, let's see. Um, I'm looking for if, if there's anything that he says can be done. So Governor Gretchen Whitmer crows that Michigan, 29%, has done better than the national average of 32% when it comes to COVID deaths in long-term care facilities. Cuomo was braying the same line until called out by his own attorney general for faking the data. As for the controversial comminglings, commingling of positive people with healthy people in these facilities, as was done in Michigan as well as New York, the, em the Empire Center for Public Policy showed a 9% rise in deaths 
in those New York facilities where the elderly were coming old. Coming old? Oh, commingled. My goodness. <laughs> I'm having trouble, people. I'm struggling. Okay. So, um, he doesn't come out with anything that we can really do about it. Um, but it is what it is. There's not much we can do about governors faking their own data, lying to the public. I mean, except vote them out. That's a great option. That's always option number one. Uh, that's the option we're working on. So come join my resistance. Yes. Michigan resistance. That is MI resistance. Yes. That's clever, isn't it? Thank you. All right. Uh, Whitmer vetoes bills, nixing graduation capacity limits, FOIA emergency suspensions. <clears throat> so Freedom of Information Act, for those of you who did not know what that acronym was. Governor Gretchen Whitmer vetoed legislation Thursday that would have exempted high school graduation ceremonies from capacity limits put in place during the pandemic. She also, okay, so these are two different bills. She also vetoed a bill that would prevent the state from suspending deadlines for the Freedom of Information Act during an emergency. Um, so she calls it half-baked and punchless legislation. Um, since capacity limits for outdoor events have already been lifted. She doesn't address the fact that we still need information from the uh, from the government even during a time of pandemic, and I doubt she will. Um, 60s last April by noting that it was designed to protect public officials who would have had to respond to requests at an exceptionally frightening an uncertain moment in Michigan's history. Okay, well, it wasn't exceptionally frightening. You made it exceptionally frightening by saying that it was exceptionally frightening. Um, so, so you can have your graduation outdoor, uh, Whitmer says. So why are you doing this? Also, um, we're scared, so we can't keep records. Follows the science. Follows the science, Whitmer, huh? All right. Um, let's see. I think we're going to save that. Save what's going on in Grand Haven for Monday's edition. Um, I thought this was funny. So I'm, I think I'm uh, running low on time here. But I thought this was just amazing. Um, all right, so Dr. Fauci, uh, this is from like three days ago. <laughs> He's slated to release on a book on truth, service, and life philosophy. Um, my goodness, the 80 page book, which is titled expect the unexpected 10 lessons on truth, service, and the way forward will debut in November and recently became available for pre-order. Uh, fun fact, you can now not find that anywhere, anywhere. They have scrubbed it from the internet. So uh, the book is gone. Fauci will not be releasing the book. Uh, but let's see. Let's see what, what this reporting is. This is from uh, John Brown. 
In his own words, well-renowned infectious disease specialist Anthony Fauci shares the lessons that have shaped his life philosophy, offering an intimate view of one of the world's greatest medical minds, as well as a universal advice to live by. The Amazon listing states, he must have written that himself, or uh, or pandering, you know, uh, uh, what do you call them? Reporters wrote that for him. With more than three decades spent combating some of our most dangerous diseases to strike humankind, AIDS, Ebola, COVID-19, because that belongs on the list. Dr. Fauci has worked in daunting professional conditions and shouldered great responsibility. The earnest reflections in these pages offer a universal message on how to lead in times of crisis and find resilience in the face of disappointments and obstacles. A description from Barnes & Noble's further explains. Goodness gracious. They love this. They love them some Fauci. My goodness. Sure to strike a chord with readers, the inspiring words of wisdom in this book are centered around life lessons compiled from hours of interviews, offering a concrete path to a bright and hopeful future. Some mocked the idea that Fauci, who has faced increasing criticism for repeated mixed messaging regarding aspects of the pandemic, would feel qualified to write a book about such lofty concepts. Um... Wow, look at this dude. Look at this guy. What? Oh, if you're not seeing these pictures, uh, the front cover, him just holding his mask, pulling on his ear. Like, what is he even doing? He is yank. He's going to yank his ears right off if he keeps on doing that. So he's got his mask on. I'm, I'm trying to explain this from, like, my, my uh, audio-only listeners. He's He's got his mask on. But he's taking the strings and he's pulling the bottom of it away from his face. It looks like he's struggling to pull his, like struggling to breathe or something. His ears are like all folded forward. Like, why would you do this? Why? My goodness. Um, we're going to stop there because this book is not even actually coming out because uh, the emails hit and, oh, um, oh, that's Ben's show. He's on my live right now. Um, so Dr. Fauci, his emails came out and suddenly the book vanished. So, uh, that was, that's an interesting, interesting development. And finally, because I know this is the story that you've all been here for. You've been waiting for it. It has arrived. Muskegon Eagle Scout to receive award after saving woman's life in 2018. So obviously this one doesn't desire or doesn't desire doesn't require much explanation um an eagle scout uh got into a woman's car uh, she had gotten into an accident uh he got her out of the car and it like burst into fire like 10 seconds later um so yes he deserves an award um i see it looked like he got the award last sunday at noon oh no oh no it's gonna be this sunday at noon so this Sunday at Panoma Park in Fruitport, there will be a ceremony this Sunday. No, this Saturday at noon. Okay. Um, so, yeah, this Saturday at noon, Panoma Park in Fruitport, uh, this heroic Muskegon Eagle Scout will be awarded as he should be. Uh, that is awesome. You know, he, he didn't whip out his phone so that he could – 
you know, cap- be the first person to capture this woman being burned alive. He just went and he did something. That is what we all need to do. It would make the world a better place if people were less addicted to their phones. So, uh, on that note, uh, pick up your phone and get addicted to my Twitter channel. <laughs> uh, go to Twitch, or no, not Twitter channel, my Twitch channel. My goodness, I make a joke and I fail. Uh, so, go and addict yourself to my Twitch channel. I actually try and make my stuff non-addictive. I just try and give you the news as I can um, and, you know, still grow a platform. So go there, subscribe, um, leave a comment, um, you know, share share the channel with your friends. Go to my Twitter. My Twitter's growing um, exponentially. You can see here I have now got like 60, 65 followers. Woo! Yeah. And all of them are all of them are from Michigan, so I'm pretty proud of that. So, check out the Twitter, check out the Twitch, check out the Facebooks. Um, I'm finally out of Facebook jail, so I'm actually posting from there every once in a while. Uh, guys, it has been great to be with you again for another Friday edition. We are watching the media. We are watching our elected officials. Uh, I will be back. Actually, I've got a task for you next week. It is not a hard one. It is picking up your phone. And leaving a short message for your elected officials. So that task will be coming next week. Be looking for that. Um, Guys, I appreciate so much you listening, being involved in the fight, and being interested in everything that Holmes is doing. We will continue bringing the top quality content that we are known for here on the Holmes Politicast. I'm Anon Don, signing off for the day. We'll see you guys on Monday.